So let's go to 1 Peter chapter 2. We want to focus in on the first three verses of this great epistle, second chapter. It says this, So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Oh, Father, I pray that as your word has been read, your spirit is giving us insight, sanctifying us by it, giving us the fullness of it, and with great grace, helping us to walk step by step in it. Do it by our minds in this service. And then by our mouths, our hands, our feet, and every act, action part of us as we leave this place. As we choose now to engage in our thoughts towards this, Lord, impress it in our heart, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, verse 1 begins with the word so in the English Standard Version, which is often translated therefore in other places and other translations. And both of them are right. It's a good way to translate that word in the original language. And what it's doing is it's helping us to continue the thought that Peter is giving to us. There's a continued argument. And as you know, Peter is building precept upon precept. And he's making conclusions along the way. If this is true and it is, then this is true. And he's just building up these truths for us. So we ought to draw back a little bit to last week's message so that we can have a bit of the context. Now, I did that last week for the previous week, and it spent, uh, spent about 15 minutes doing that. I am not going to do that today, I promise. Uh, if you remember last week, there was a singular focus that we had, and that is that God has given us the capacity to live and love well because he has made us to be born again, giving us a, a nature that's different. And that nature of his word is living and abiding in us. And because it is living and abiding in us, it, it transforms us. It makes us that we might live in the way of Christ. In particular, that we would have love for one another. Now, previously, he's talked about holiness and righteousness and conduct that uh, reveals a reverential fear of God and but, but in the last week's section, what we were talking about at this epistle was the love that we ought to have for one another. Now, as you know from last week as well, the Word of God is incorruptible and it is imperishable. It's a seed that is, that is given to us. It brings us into salvation and it continues in that salvation, a sanctifying work. That is, He's making us holy. It is the source, the Word is the source for the spiritual growth that you and I have and for the development that God gives us. So if we negate this Word, then we will be stunted in the process that God wants us to be growing in. So this Word is essential to us. More than any other music we listen to, any other writer that we read, any other influencer that it, we're engaging, this Word is central to us. So just as a, a sort of a standard for us to start this message, it is the Bible is the source of our lives. It's the source of our living. It is the living and abiding Word of God that God has brought us into life and God grows us in the life that we have in Christ Jesus. And Jesus said it uh, the same, in the same uh, meaning in a different way. He said to his disciples, 
you are already clean by the word that I have spoken to you. So I've spoken this word to you and you have trusted that word. And my speaking this word has brought salvation to you and you are trusting, you are believing, you're obeying, you're walking in this. And so he said to them, you are clean. But look what he says in verse 4 of John 15. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. So it's pretty clear that we're saved by the word of God. And we are continuously being transformed and fruitful by staying connected to the word of God, which Christ himself has uttered. So he says in verse 5 of that chapter, I am the vine, you are the branches, whoever abides in me and I in him, it is he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. So we need to hear the word of God and obey the word of God because our life and living hinge on walking in its truth. So the moments that we are most successful in life are those seasons in which we are engaged, walking in and abiding in Christ and his word. And where we falter is where we have unengaged from God's word. Kay and I have a personal story about our life and marriage and family. And about year five in our marriage, it was pretty rocky there for a while. We say it this way to young couples, she didn't like me very much and I didn't like her very much. Anybody uh, have something like that in the past? <laughs> you know what we trailed back to? We had disengaged from the living and abiding word our lives we're not so connected to that. And so for us to ignite life in our marriage again, we needed to allow God's word to ignite in us. And we trail back to that and some other things that we thought was important that the Spirit of God had illuminated to us. And by God's grace, this week we celebrate 36 years of marriage. Grateful for God's word and how it is transforming us when we stay connected to Christ and his word. Of course, James said, be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. So let me just mention three points in this text that I think you ought to pay attention to. They're in the handout for you if you want to just mark them as we go through. Maybe you'll want to come back to some of them, meditate on them. Abundant spiritual living requires hearing and obeying God's word. Abundant spiritual living requires hearing and obeying God's word. Now, hearing and obeying God's words are common commands throughout the scripture. I mean, it's repeatedly over and over, all the way back into Genesis. Throughout the Revelation, we find this hearing and obeying God's word. And it's an interesting way in which the the Greek New Testament, the Koine Greek, uh, gives us insights to this hearing and obeying. The word for hear in the original language of the Bible is akuo. Say that with me, akuo. Because I think it's cool that you all know how to speak Greek, you know. Yeah, akuo, it means, it means to hear. It's, it's the word that uh, is the source for our word, acoustic. Uh, you can see how that would be the case. To obey is hupokuo, or often translated hupo, that, that word in front of akuo, 
uh, could also be translated or transliterated as hyper. And so you have a hearing that is hyper. And when you think of hyper, what are you thinking about? You're thinking about that large coffee that you just got with an extra shot and it kind of makes you a little jittery, kind of makes you a little hyper. Or maybe there's some kids bouncing around from time to time in your life and you're saying, oh, you're so hyper. Um, yeah, when we think of hyper, we think of something that's elevated, don't we? We, we? we think of it having a lot of energy or she or he having a lot of energy. And so in the same context, what Peter is describing here is a hearing with your ear that is elevated because you're not just hearing with your ear, you're hyper hearing in your soul. So you're reading God's Word, hearing God's Word with an intent for it to impress in your heart, in your soul. It's reading the Bible, yes, but marking it, writing it, journaling it, writing a prayer after it, pausing, praying after it. That's hyper-hearing. Hupo-kuo, that's what that means. It's elevated hearing. And what he is calling for us to do in our lives is obey the Word of God by hyper-hearing it, reading it with intention. Some of you have come into this place today believing that God is going to speak to you by His Word through the songs that we sing that are directly connected to the Scripture, from the prayers that we pray that are connected to the Scripture, and from the proclamation from the pulpit, and even in your life group from the declaration of Scripture. And you have a hyper-hearing about you. You are trusting that not only are you going to hear audibly with your ears, but you're going to hear with your soul because the Spirit of God is working in you so that you might hear in that way. So the Bible is God's gift to us. It's His living and abiding Word given to us that we might produce abundant fruit. We're connected to Christ and His Word. Now let's tie those two principles together in the text that we're reading today. I, I want to just kind of pull all that together because hearing and hyper-hearing is evident in this text that we're reading out of 1 Peter. So let me just go back and read in the context what we have already read together. Having purified your souls, he says in chapter 1, verse 22 of 1 Peter, having purified your souls by obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Are you hearing that? Love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of a perishable seed, but an imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. So those are truths that are to be heard. But now listen to this hyper-hearing. So put away all malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted, the Lord is good." So God's Word saves us positionally and sanctifies us presently. So therefore, we must submit ourselves actively in faith and obedience to His grace. In other words, we need to hyper-hear the Word of God, hearing the truth with our souls that we might respond in obedience. So we hear Him say to us, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. And doing something about that hyper Active hearing of that is put these things away that are contrary to love. Put these things away that counter love, that are in the opposition to love. That's hyper hearing. 
And then he, he begins to list those things for us very, very specifically. So the response is that Christ has lovingly paid the ransom for our souls by his precious blood, making us born again. And in return, we respond to that love by loving him and loving others earnestly from a pure heart that God has given to us. So hear this word, love one another earnestly with a pure heart since you've been born again. And then hyper here, so put away the deceit, the hypocrisy, the envy, the slander, all that malice. And instead, like newborn infants, long for spiritual milk. All right, secondly, loving one another requires us to reject aspects that are counter to genuine love. And he gives us five of them. Malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander. Just put those things away. It requires us to put those away if we're going to respond to God's word with genuine brotherly love. Now, malice, as you know, is a real intent to hurt. It's an intent to harm somebody, to wound somebody. It's, uh, it, it's the opposite of goodness. You can't love somebody if you have malice in your heart. And so he's saying, love each other earnestly. How do you do that? God will make your heart pure. And in the purity of God's heart that has been given to you in Christ Jesus, love. Let love be the demonstration of that. And the demonstration of that cannot be if you have malice in your heart. I really want this bad to happen to them. They've wounded me. I want to wound them. I hope this happens or I hope that happens. Malice, ill intent you got to put that away. Why? Because you're hyper-hearing. You not just heard God's word, read God's word, but you're acting in it. And the acting is, I'm going to put away all malice. It's not, I'm, I don't have an ill will to you. Deceit. Deceit, as you know, is an intentional dishonesty. It's a distortion of the truth. It's a hiding truth or undermining truth. And Peter uses that word in very specific ways. In fact, if you were in the, his world and you were reading that letter and you read that word, you would think about a fish hook. Because that's the word that he's using here to describe deceit. It's like a lure that's got a hook on it. And the one who is deceitful is attempting to throw the lie out there and then set the hook in the lie. And look, when you set the hook with a lie... You could care less about the consequences of the one that you just set the hook in. You can't love and be deceitful. You can't lie to your spouse. You can't lie to your friend. You can't lie to your coworker. You can't lie to your co-member and claim to love them. Because love is the opposite of setting the hook with deceit regardless of the wound that it causes that individual. So he says, hey, if you're going to love earnestly from a pure heart, make sure deceit is not in your life and make sure hypocrisy isn't there. You can't love genuinely if you're hiding behind a mask, which is what hypocrisy is. Hypocrisy is play acting. It's living with pretense. It's, it's hoping you'll be thought of one way, but knowing the reality that it's not in you. Listen, Christ has made it so that all things become new, right? Christ has made it so that the old passes away, and behold, all things are new. When you put a mask in front of that, you can't love people genuinely, and they can't love you genuinely. Sometimes as people will share some of their 
their real sin and failure in their life and they'll make confession to me about that there's a sense of reservation in them because they're thinking well maybe I'm going to view them differently and if they ever expose that way of thinking to me I will stop the conversation instantaneously and say oh let me tell you I have learned from experience that because you are telling me that secret in your life that you hope nobody would know, because you're telling me that, it makes me love you all the more. Number one, you've trusted me with that. And number two, I know who you are now and you are willing to expose that. I can love you all the more. I didn't know who to love previously. So hypocrisy will keep you from loving and hypocrisy will keep you from being loved. So Peter says, make sure you don't have hypocrisy in your life and make sure that envy, which is rooted in discontent, is not in you because it's a resentfulness to the prosperity of somebody else. So make sure that you're not being envious because that would move you to grudges and bitterness and hatred and conflict and a whole lot of other stuff. So love each other earnestly and let that be hyper so that no envy is in you and don't have slander. Don't try to defame somebody. Don't talk behind their back. Uh, we lose a little bit in the translation, the English translation, but in the original language of the Bible, kataleleo is the word there. And it even sounds, it has this sound to it like somebody is doing something behind your back, speaking behind your back, mumbling these words, hoping to, to bring you down, kataleleo. And so if we're going to love all of those stand in opposition to love. So hear the command, love each other earnestly. Why? Because God has made your heart pure. The Spirit is filling your heart with love. Make sure you're hyper hearing that by taking all these things that are counter to genuine love and put them away from your life. Live in the purity that the Spirit of God has given you. So the point is to hear the word and act on that by putting these things away so like the decalogue the ten commandments peter is calling us to express love vertically first he's saying love god and let it be evident in your love for god by your holiness and faithfulness the purity and conduct by which you live your life in fear of him let that be evident that's a vertical choice and action the, the first half of the Decalogue is that, how we love God. And then the second half is directed towards other people. It's a horizontal love. And Peter uses that same flow. He says, love God with holiness and faithfulness. And now love one another earnestly with the pure heart that Christ has given you. So put away these sinful attitudes can we just pause for a minute and just let the Spirit of Christ, who is truth, address any of our family, friends, neighbors, co-workers, community members, co-members. Address any of them and your relationship to them is their malice in you against any of them is there deceit envy slander is there any of that that's counter to love and what does the Spirit of God call you to do I tell you what he calls us to do 
first agree with him on that sin, that's confession. Second, turn to him for the newness, that's repentance. Thinking differently about it, responding differently about it. Trusting in his grace to strengthen us, to walk in its truth. Stay connected to Christ. Those are all the things that, that we know we ought to do. But Peter is going to elevate one aspect on how do you do this. How do you love each other earnestly and how do you put these things out of your life? Now, it might be different than what you were expecting, but look, it's in the last point here. Longing for spiritual milk, God's word, postures us to thrive spiritually, living and loving well. Anybody remember in the previous century the ads that looked like this? Uh, it, it came often, got milk, uh, milk it does the body good. Anybody remember those kind of ads? And Everybody knew that if you wanted to grow strong and big, you drink your milk. Uh, we, we still tell our grandchildren that today. Uh, and they're not on fat-free, they're not on 1%, 2%, they're on whole milk, right? Because we want, we want that good stuff. <laughs> Somebody's going to applaud that. How about this? Organic whole milk. Can I get an applause on that? <laughs> From the backyard Betsy the cow that you've got tied up. Uh, free range or anything else. Yeah. It's funny what uh, sometimes we're encouraged by, isn't it? But pure spiritual milk. That's God's word here. All right, but... Don't let the commercials of the past or the mantra of your doctors, even presently, distort what Peter is saying here. Because Peter is not telling us to have an intake of pure spiritual milk, God's word, to make us strong. That is not what he's saying. Now, there are multiple places in scripture where that is the case. The intake of God's word does strengthen us. It, it does fortify us. Uh, there are many other passages that I could point to regarding that, but that is not Peter's point. What he's saying is if you're going to love earnestly and you're going to put these things out of your, your life that are counter to love, you've got to long for pure spiritual milk. You've got to long for it. In fact, if I were one to circle in the handout of the Bible, which I am, I would circle that long for pure because it's the longing that Peter is after. Because an infant longs for the mother's milk. Longs for it. Listen, they'll scream all night for it if they have to, right? God has put that in them to have a hunger pain, a desire for. Even their, their emotional well-being is related to the serving of milk to that little one. And that close proximity to the mother or with a bottle to, for the father. That, that's the wonder of, of God's greatness for babies to have all that it needs. So a baby's appetite for milk is part of the healthy life of that baby. In fact, apart from that, they could not be healthy if they didn't have that longing for pure milk. So Kay and I know a woman who as a young girl, the doctors had diagnosed her with a condition called failure to thrive. And quite literally, she did not have a longing to eat. She just wasn't driven to eat. And so she wouldn't eat. 
And she was small in stature. She was underweight severely. There were times that she was apathetic and lethargic. And not able to, to do what other children were doing. And her parents were just exasperated because they wanted their child to thrive. And we prayed earnestly for God to put in that little girl a desire to eat. She could not be healthy without that. And by God's goodness and grace over a length of time and some intervention from doctors, that did come about. But listen, I know some, I know some adults right now who are spiritually starving, malnourished, less than what God desires for them, not strong, in fact, quick to fall. And why is that? Because they don't have a longing for pure spiritual milk. They have a longing for a whole lot of other stuff. And it's typically the stuff that's uh, noise and distraction in the world today. Oh, they're gaining after this and that, and they might be successful in this or that. But when it comes to spiritual life, it's not so. And the reason is they don't have a longing for spiritual milk. And Peter understands that, that you and I need to crave, develop a craving for pure spiritual milk. Now, all the words that he gives us in this statement are very important because we're not just going to develop a craving for spiritual milk because there's a whole lot of spiritual junk out there. There's a whole lot of stuff under the label of Christian that is absolutely not pure. It's impure. And so you have to be very guarded about what you're taking in because many sources are impure and contaminated, which is the opposite of pure. They're filled with untruths and doctrines. And Christian books, podcasts, teachers, preachers, musicians, they don't give us what they give us with warning labels that their, their art or their words might be contaminated with untruth. There's no surgeon general warning on the label of any of that stuff saying that there might be something harmful to us there. But I can tell you this, there is one resource that every page from the front to the end is without error. One resource that is always 100% accurate. One resource that is unquestionably pure, and it is God's holy word, the Bible. And so this ought to be our craving, our longing for pure spiritual milk. This is what he's telling us to drive towards. And as we develop an insatiable desire for God's word, God will use it remarkably for us to grow. So if you want to love your brothers and sisters earnestly, and you want to put away all that malice and envy and slander and deceit, all those things that he mentioned that are counter to love, here's what he says, grow a longing for, develop a longing for pure spiritual milk, and God will do the work in you. This isn't you and me pulling ourselves up, figuring out how we're going to do it better. This is about us coming to the one who transforms us. This is about us longing for this that changes us, that bears much fruit in us when we engage it. Now, there's an interesting way in which Peter is writing this section. When he says, Long for pure spiritual milk that you may grow into your salvation. That word grow is a verb that is 
In a tense, that means that the subject is being acted upon. All right, so what he's saying there is if you long for this, develop and crave a longing for this word, then God will use this word and he will grow you in it. This won't be you figuring out how to do it better. This won't, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get better at this. I'm going to do it harder. I'm going to go longer. I'm going to be more patient. Or It's about you letting God do his transforming work. Look, if God alone could be the one to save you, I can guarantee you by Galatians, God alone will finish your salvation. If God is the one who saves you, God is the one who sanctifies you. Sure, you come to him in faith. Sure, you walk in obedience to him, but it's all triggered in him. It's all initiated by him, and it's powered by and through him and his wondrous grace in Christ Jesus and through his word. So when we're discipling people at Meadowbrook, be it Kay or me or any of the other staff or your your life group leaders or your deacons, whoever it is, and there's a, there's a discipling effort that's on, ongoing. I can tell you that what we have been doing for a number of years is we take people to God's Word. We're not taking them to a Christian author, calling it a Bible study, and walking through somebody's writings about God. We are taking them to the very words of God, teaching them how to read God's word, understand God's word, and live their life in the instruction of God's word. That's discipleship, pure spiritual milk. Does that mean that you don't read other authors? No, that doesn't mean that. Does that mean that you don't listen to other sources? No, that doesn't mean that. It means you develop first a craving for pure spiritual milk, which comes from God's holy word. When you do that, God will shape you and incline your heart to be like him. Now look, there's a lot of junk out there, and there's many a person in this room, including myself, that has ingested some of that junk. And so coming off junk food is not easy, is it? In fact, we're pretty easily addicted to processed foods that are loaded in chemicals and saturated fats. Mentally and physically, people have a hard time coming off that because they are meant and inclined to build addictions in us. And so with this modern, convenient diet that we have today of comfort food is very addictive. And the results are physically devastating, are they not? So over time, I've learned to develop. I'm not perfect at it and don't claim to be. In fact, sometimes I'm not even good at it, but I've learned some habits of eating well. And I've noticed this, when I eat well, then I crave things that are wholesome. It's more easy for me to say no to junk when I've been proving to eat well, choosing to eat well, longing to eat well. The more I crave healthy food, that craving comes when I have been eating healthy food. And what I've noticed, when I eat junk food, man, do I ever crave more junk food. Are you like that? You cave in, you buy some McDonald's, and the next thing you know, every McDonald's you go by, your car just wants to whip right in there. Did you know that physiologically, scientifically, it's proven that that is a fact? That your, your body releases dopamine when we have pleasure senses, and pleasure senses, part of that are food. It's, it's God's way of keeping us engaged in food. Wanting more food, healthy food, 
But, but the world gives us the options of having unhealthy food and the dopamine release is greater with those foods that are high in saturated fats, high in process. And so because we want more of that, we go for more of that. How, how weird is this? The more dopamine that gets released in our body with junk food, the body continues to release that dopamine and recognizing that it's out of kilter, the body actually turns down the sensory for dopamine. And because we want that high from dopamine, that feel good from dopamine, we go for more of the junk food. It's just a part of the way we are physiologically. So the more junk we eat, the more we create, crave it. Now the answer to that, according to Peter, in spiritual terms, the answer to that is learn to develop a craving for what is wholesome. The pure spiritual milk of God's word. And so to do so, we have to engage it. We have to ingest it. We have to eat it regularly. It can't just be sporadically. It can't just be when we get in crisis. It ought to be a daily consumption of God's Word. And the more we engage in God's Word, the more we talk about it, the more we sing about it, the more we meditate on it, the more we engage in God's Word, the greater the craving we have for God's Word to impact every part of our being. And the less impacting junk food, spiritual junk food and its craving in our lives, or spiritual or, or junk food in general to the world. So the answer is developing a longing for pure, wholesome words of God. Certainly a challenging prospect, isn't it? And yes, sometimes we even have significant withdrawals when we pull out of those junk things in our life. But our physical health is absolutely essential. But Peter is writing about what is not just essential, what is eternal, and that's our spiritual health. And he says to long for pure spiritual milk, like an infant longs for it, that you may grow up into salvation if you've tasted that the Lord is good. So this is an uh, active verb that the, the action is coming from God, the source. And so develop that. If you've tasted the goodness of God... Then he's saying, learn to taste the goodness of his word. And as you take in more of the goodness of his word, then you will see a greater love for your brothers and sisters at Meadowbrook. And so I long for us to be the kind of church that others would say, oh man, those people are disciples of Jesus. Well, why? How do, how do you know that? Because they love each other. It's an earnest love. It's a deep love. It's not a fickle love. It's a chosen love. They're determined to love each other. wonder how that came about. I'll tell you how it came about. They began to develop a craving for God's word like few people. And they were just digesting God's word. And God was making them grow into the salvation that he gave them in Jesus Christ. That's what Peter's calling us to do. To live by to be encouraged in. We can, we can do that. More importantly, God will do that. And to Jesus be the glory for that. Let's pray together. Father, first, thank you for your immeasurable love. By definition, you are love. That's what you told us in your scripture. 
And thank you for demonstrating your love for us that while we were yet sinners, Christ was dying for us. And thank you for calling out to us. Thank you for choosing us, calling us, providing for us, saving us, sustaining us, giving us your word that we might flourish in it with richness. The blessings of fruitfulness belong to us. And, oh, Lord, thank you for the love of your word. The love that is expressed in that text is amazing. The way in which it demonstrates love to us is just off the charts. Thank you for your word, Lord. And I pray as we, by your spirit, have a longing, a greater longing, like an infant for milk, for your word. Lord, that you'll grow us into the salvation that you imparted in Christ Jesus. And that the demonstration of that growth would be in our love for one another. Help us, Lord, I pray, to step into this truth and to express it. And as we leave this hour and move on to the next hour in life group, let it be evident, Lord, that there are people seated in the rooms who are choosing to love one another earnestly with a pure heart. And Lord, as they read your word today in life group and they talk about it and they're encouraged by it, let it elevate the truth in them that they might be shaped as more loving in nature. And I pray, Lord, it would be evident in our family life, the way husbands treat wives and wives speak to husbands and the way kids honor parents and parents love on their children. I pray, Lord, that in every way of our relationships, family, work, friendship, church membership, that the expression of love would be so evident because you are filling us with love and transforming us by your word. And to Jesus be the glory for that, who alone can bring that about. In his name we pray. Amen.